What's up, everybody? My name is Lee. Some of you guys might know me as Intuition, and you are tuned in to Kinda Neat. Thank you guys for tuning in, as always. Sorry. Sorry. It's been a long time. I know this is only the second episode of 2018, and we're already well into the 2018, like the second month is already almost over. It's rough for me getting back into things after the holiday break, but more of that after I let you know that we are fan-supported, and this is the only advertisement that you will hear. If you are a weekly listener, please go to patreon.com slash kind of neat and pledge a dollar an episode. That's all I'm asking for, a dollar an episode. Barely ever fucking put episodes out, but we put more out if you guys pledged. Um, so a dollar an episode, if we're on our grind, that would mean $4 a month. That's like buying me a latte. That's not a big deal. You can afford to buy me a latte. If you saw me in person, maybe you'd be like, hey, Lee, you want to go grab a coffee? And I'd be like, yeah, sure. This is your way of doing that online. Go to patreon.com slash kind of neat and help us out. Thank you, guys. So, yeah, it has been... It's been tough for me after the holidays to like get back in the swing of things. Work has been slow. I feel like music releases are kind of slow around uh, January. Like no one wants to put out new music in the early months of the year because then they for- they get forgotten about on all of the end of the year lists. Because like the smart way for the music hustle this is what you might not realize as fans. The smart way to get your music out more than once is to put something out towards the middle or the end of the year. So then you get your first press run if it's good. Right. You get your first press run and everybody starts talking about it. Oh, but this is so good. Da, 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 da. And then you're hoping that it gets picked up for like end of the year list. Like, oh, you know, this is one of the best records of the year. And here it is on our important ass list. Right. So that said, if you put something out that's great in January, people forget about it by December. So that's. That's a little inside baseball, but that's also like it's hard to book guests early in the year. That's one of my excuses. My other excuse is I've just been being lazy and being depressed and and like having a hard time getting back into the post holiday break. You know, like the last time I talked to you guys in the middle of January, I was just a couple weeks out of a car accident, unfortunately. And my car is like, I still don't have it back yet. It's in Truckee. So I have to like figure out when it's going to be finished and fly up there and drive it back, which is not going to be tight. And uh, work has been slow still. So, you know, I've been spending a lot of time pretending like I'm trying to be busy at home and then actually just procrastinating and putting stuff out and watching freaking Jesus and Miro on the couch. But the good news is I have a job coming up next week. I'm going to be gone in the Bay Area working on a photo gig. And so hopefully that'll be inspiring because the thing about me is I do better when I'm busy. They say idle hands are the devil's playground. And let me tell you. The devil been playing all over that ass lately because I have had some idle ass motherfucking hands. That said, the good news is like I have a podcast today. I have a podcast that I'm doing tomorrow. And then I have a job that I fly to after the weekend. So I feel like this will be the electric charge in the ass that I need to kind of like get myself stepping up again and getting busy in 2018. I have been feeling relatively inspired. If you guys follow along real closely with me in the last few days, you might notice that I'm like tweeting a lot. And usually I can tell with myself that when I'm tweeting a lot, I'm in a creative mindset. I know that sounds stupid as fuck and people go like, oh, you're wasting your time tweeting, but I'm a writer. So like when I am writing tweets, that means like my brain is being more active, which is a good sign. Generally, if you don't see me on Twitter, like for a while, that means I'm like in a deep, dark haze and I don't feel like talking about anything. 
So yeah, I have been kind of depressed lately. I have been sitting home a lot. <laughs> Having the new place, we've been there now. Well, I mean, it's not really new anymore. We've been there five months, but like it's become such a sanctuary, you know? And the fact that I like now have my girl, I have a house, got a dog, don't drink, don't do shit. Like I have myself in this place where I feel like, oh, there's, I don't need to leave. Everything's here. I've got entertainment. I've got food. I've got a yard to go outside in. I don't need to go anywhere because all of my social goals of like having a significant other and, you know, the pursuit of happiness or whatever, it's all here. That in and of itself becomes like this me like isolating myself and I think the depression leads to the isolation and they perpetuate themselves because then the more depressed you get, the more isolated you get and the more isolated you get, the more depressed you get. And then when you're isolated, you feel like, oh, I shouldn't hit my friends up because they'll know that I just want to hang out with them because I'm fucking depressed. And like, <laughs> that's such a stupid thing to think. But yeah, that's where I'm at right now. But I think I'm on the tail end of it. I hope that I'm on the tail end of it. I think I'm snapping out of it. But uh, hopefully any of you guys going through the winter doldrums as well are starting to snap out of it too. So, you know, in the meantime, what I have gotten into while I'm at home, and this is going to make me sound so washed and so old, but I don't give a fuck. I got into houseplants. Never thought that I'd get into houseplants, but my gateway into it was we bought this plant. It's called a ponytail palm, but it's not actually a palm. I think it's like related to... I forget, like zucchinis or something. I don't know. But it looks like a little mini palm tree, basically. And um, I bought that because they were like, oh, yeah, it's real easy to take care of. And then uh, I started getting really into it, like just Googling a bunch and like trying to figure out how to make it grow. Because right now it's just like a little stub. But, I, but I've realized that if you put them outside, they can grow to like 20 feet. And I don't want it to grow 20 feet, but I do want it to be like more of a tree in my house. And so I started learning about it's a plant that likes to be root bound. And so like, you, you know, if you want it to grow, you have to like take it out of the pot that it's already root bound in and like trim the, the roots down and clear all the dirt out and then repot it in something. But it needs to be a specific kind of succulent soil. And you got to like not water it too much, but you got to water it enough, but you don't want it to get rotted and it's become a whole thing now where like every morning I wake up and I have this the ponytail palm that I take care of I make sure that it's in the sunlight in the morning and then once the sun passes that window I put it to another window because it turns out that you're supposed to have plants facing west facing win- or next to west facing windows but I don't really have any so I like I'm moving it throughout the house the whole day and that plant led to us getting a fucking Christmas cactus, which led to us getting, or like me also having like, well, I have some basil, you know, but then I also planted like some sage and some fucking uh, rosemary in a pot. And the thing about rosemary and sage, let me tell you guys about this, because I know you're fucking intrigued and it's so interesting, but it turns out that planting rosemary and sage is actually very difficult, right? People suggest that you just get a little cutting of those plants and repot it, and that's the easier way to grow. But not me. I said, no, not me. I got a planter for Christmas, like an outdoor herb garden thing that I attached to the backside of the house, and I got some potting soil, and my girl bought me a bunch of seeds, and I put 
these uh, – I put the rosemary and sage in, in this, and then you have to – what you got to do is, like, just put them in this pot on top of the soil, right? And then you got to cover it with plastic rack for three weeks, and then you just wait because it acts like this its own little, like, greenhouse. You know what I'm saying? So, like, the sun's getting in there, and you watered the soil, but that water being trapped in the plastic, it, it kind of, like, makes its own little ecosystem where it's making it much hotter in there. So the water kind of evaporates and gets stuck on top of the – on the plastic and then drips back down and it becomes its own little ecosystem. Right. And I was like, I don't know. Like, I hope this is working. Who the fuck knows? I've just got this shit out in the sun for three weeks with a cover on it. Lo and behold, after three weeks, I took that plastic wrap out and you'll never believe what I saw. I saw seedlings, bro. The sage actually planted. It's already about an inch tall now. And then the rosemary is slowly starting to peak out. And there's, I don't know, there's probably about, I would say maybe 15, sage plants that there are seeds that survived and are growing and there is about six rosemary which from what i've read is a pretty good outcome it looks like your boy might have a green thumb i'm not sure but yeah that's what i've been kind of obsessed with lately while i'm not doing anything else is like trying to take care of my house plants because you know me i'm somebody with an active brain that's also extremely lazy at times and so i always try to find ways to occupy my latent or dormant creativity and house plants have become the new thing on top of like cooking and on top of like writing and on top of taking photos always got to have something so house plants that's my new obsession and it makes me feel old and i used to make fun of my mom because my mom has like her house in North Pole looks like a fucking jungle inside. And I'm like, Mom, get rid of all these plants. And now I have a feeling when I go back up, I'm going to be like, oh, my God, teach me everything you know about plants. So, yeah, that's been my new fun thing. Oh, also, I have an air plant. It's called a Tillandsia. And air plants are mad tight, too, because they don't need soil. And if you guys don't know about air plants, Google air plants. That shit is pretty tight. All right. We're back in business. We got Ali on the show today. Ali is from Toronto. Ali is a... um has a lovely voice and is a good songwriter and she has a record out that came out last summer called nightshade and she's working on new music right now and yeah i mean she makes a joke that you know people tell her how, how many people have uh make love to her music or whatever and like yeah it's some love making music it's some baby making music for real i enjoy talking to her i bring up some of these same topics about like you know where canada fits in with their racism and shit because you know i like talking about that stuff i'm curious about it i want to learn so that i could be a better person and i hope that you you guys want to as well i liked her uh, ali is she's just cool as fuck this is a very comfortable person to talk to she got a bright future and i think that uh if you got spotify you should just look her up it's a space l space l space i space e she got two eps on there that you can check out she's got some videos on youtube yeah i think you'll fuck with it so i mean i wouldn't pick it if i didn't think you guys would fuck with it this is what i do you know so with that being said without further ado here is my conversation with ali It's been a while since I've done one of these, so I might be a little rusty. I've done hey. I've done almost 140 of them, but Damn. I haven't done one in two months, and it's not like riding a bike. It takes a second. So that's why I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm bullshitting with you right now to come up with a good we'll starting just, we'll point. We'll ease into it. Yeah, we'll just <laughs> ease right into it. What brings you out to Los Angeles? That's an easy place to start. Oh, man. Um, simplest answer is the sun. 
The sun brought me to L.A. It's very cold in Toronto. So it wasn't business meetings or, like, yeah, talking you know, with labels or what? There's that. Yeah. But, like, mostly I just wanted to come out, record. Mm-hmm. I brought my gear with me. I've just been, like, posted up. When you say you brought your gear with you, does that mean that you generally record yourself? Yeah, I do. But you just record by yourself. I do. Do you mix and master yourself? Um, well, I like edit and arrange all my vocals. I'll yeah. put like, uh, you know, I'll put a mix on it, and then I'll take it to somebody who can yeah. take it to the next level. But but for all intents and purposes, you're your own audio engineer. I am. Wow, that's very impressive. When did you start learning to do that? Uh, a couple years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Some of the uh, producers that I was working with were nice enough to kind of. You know, point you in the right direction. Yeah, and I just started really like lurking, you know, watching, right, right, trying to take it in, and and I think some of the producers that I was working with, they just they wanted to see me be self sufficient, which was really amazing. Like I feel like they wanted to see that in me before. I even knew I wanted to see that in me, you know? Right. And there's a general amount of comfort that comes from just being able to record something in your pajamas by yourself, I'm sure. Like, maybe you could get more personal or intimate with the recordings than than you might be willing to with other people in the room, or no? Yeah, definitely. Like, I was just, for the first few years I was making music, I was recording, like, all these demos into my internal mic on my laptop, and they sounded like complete shit. Right. Um, But I'd have these moments alone in my room, and then I try to recreate them in the studio and be like, fuck, I wish that I could, you know, use the initial take, like the initial feeling. So that's when I started to be like, OK, I just got to get my shit set up so that I can just like lay it when I'm really right. in it. Right. Mm-hmm. So you have like a little bedroom studio set up. What did you do? To, did you treat your room at all? Like, do you have no. soundproofing stuff? No. Yeah. <laughs> really? No, it's just like, I mean, I kind of like I have some absorbers set up but Mm -hmm. like i haven't really felt i need that too much like my spot is it's like a really tiny room yeah and um it's been all right yeah Mm -hmm. i mean in this economy who can afford a big room you know it's just all (laughs) tiny rooms everywhere um so you come from toronto that's where you're here from Mm -hmm. is that where you're born and raised i'm born and raised in toronto yeah oh tell me about toronto i don't know that much about Toronto toronto other than it's like the stereotype is it's the New York of Canada. <laughs> yeah, um, Toronto, I mean, it's it's an amazing city, and there's so much talent there. Right. And I think, I mean, we're definitely in a time where people are, like, really taking notice of that, which is really cool, because it's not a new thing. Uh-huh. It's just people are noticing now. Right. Um, not a new thing. Shout out to Cardinal Official. Yeah. Shout out to the OGs. <laughs> the OGs. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I feel like there's just like this surge of talent right now. Mm. And I feel like the community is really strong and super supportive. And like, I mean, I've just felt so much support from my music community there personally. Yeah, that's amazing. Mm -hmm. What part of Toronto are you from? Like, tell me about the kind of economic and sociological makeup of the city. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I grew up in the West End, so like around St. Clair and Oakwood. Okay. Um, there's a lot of Italians, there's a lot of Portuguese people, there's a lot of Jamaicans, um, yeah, a lot of Caribbean folks. Yeah. It's, it's super diverse. Yeah. That's where I grew up around. The West End, I mean, is it, uh, is it 
an urban community or a suburban community in the West End? It's an urban community. It is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's a bit north um, of downtown, uh-huh. but it's it's in Toronto. Yeah. Toronto you guys got Parker. good public transportation there? It's it's all right. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, is it? I People get, bitch about it a lot, but yeah. like, it's all right. Yeah. Yeah. Is it a city where you are better off having a car? No, I don't drive. You don't drive? No. Have you ever driven? I mean, I'm trying to get my license now because yeah. like now I'm traveling more and when I come out here, especially, I'm like, fuck. <laughs> I mean, out here, you're good with Uber, though. Yeah. You can survive with Uber. There's Lyft, no public Uber. transportation, but everybody got a gig. Mm-hmm. First know. time I came out here, I was trying to take the bus, and I was like, this is not the move. <laughs> oh, yeah. The bus out here is, is harsh. It was crazy. Yeah. I feel like Los Angeles is eventually going to be a city of where everyone's an Uber driver that's mm-hmm. also working on other stuff. Yeah. And so it's going to be like... It's going to be a bunch of vloggers getting into Ubers that are driven by other vloggers who mm-hmm. are, you know, they're on their way to go vlog something. I don't know. <laughs> That's just more of a bit. I got to work on that more. Okay. So <laughs> tell me about, like, how did your family end up in Toronto? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, my dad's from Jamaica. Yeah. So he came uh, when he was about 11, 12. Uh-huh. Um, my, my grandma um, came, like, five years prior to bringing all the kids over. Oh, so she moved over first and then she brought the kids. She moved over first and uh, just, like, worked her ass off until she could, like, send for them, which is a pretty common story. Yeah, um, right. Especially in Toronto. Did she come over by herself? Then? She came by herself. And so who watched your dad and aunties and uncles? Their grandmother. Their grandmother. Mm-hmm, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they were, like, countryside, Kingston, Jamaica. Wow. Um So it was a pretty huge move yeah for them and my mom was born in toronto Uh her parents were born in toronto too okay so yeah and then my my great grandmother was italian oh Um, and my you know know what part of italy they're from oh i always forget what it's called i'm I'm calabrese we're from calabria okay yeah there you go Mm -hmm. everybody in america just says sicilian north but Mm -hmm. grandmother moves over from jamaica Mm -hmm. and then busts her ass and moves your dad over. Yeah. Has he talked to you about his transition into Canada? Like, does he remember the culture shock? Definitely. I mean, like, he talks about it to me more as, as, you know, we Mm -hmm. get older, as Mm -hmm. I get older. Mm -hmm. Um, And, yeah, it was like, I mean, it was a huge culture shock for them. And I think um, kind of that drive to be successful and Mm -hmm. to kind of, like, fit in and to like achieve what you know it's it's that right, kind like of the assimilation and everything exactly yeah. yeah i think um him and his siblings they all really had that super how many know, siblings drive. were there um five right and then half of them actually went to england oh no kidding mm-hmm. wow. so you got split. family everywhere i got family everywhere you're global <laughs> Cosmopolitan. Going global. Yeah, yeah. So do you get to go out to England? Do you get to go to Jamaica? Have I you haven't been to met place? any of the England's relatives yet. Right. But I really want to. Right. Um, and yeah, I got to go back to Jamaica. Um, I went once like a long time ago, but it was like a resort type of thing. I didn't really get the feel. Right, totally. Um, and I went to, I got to go shoot a video there. Um 
I think it was like two summers ago now. Yeah. With this artist Harrison, who I've worked with. Is that he, the Bad Habits video? Uh, no. no, that's that's Birthday Boy. Oh, okay. Um, it was a it was a song for Harrison's project called Vertigo. Okay. And we got to go down to Portland, Jamaica, yeah. and shoot that there. And his dad actually came from Jamaica around the same age that wow. my dad did. Yeah. And he had never been there before, so it was actually ended up being like a super like powerful trip for both right. of us. Right. What does that feel like? I didn't want to leave. Right. I felt so comfortable. I felt so at home right away. Um I always felt like the pace in Toronto was a little fast for me. Uh-huh. And so feeling that pace in Jamaica, I was like, oh, <laughs> right. I get it. Like, this is so me. Right. It's just um, deeply embedded in your genetics. Yeah. Just yeah. like in my soul. I was right. feeling that shit. Yeah. Um, and we were only there for four days to shoot. So it went by and we were like working the whole time. So it went by really fast. But ever since then, I am just kind of trying to figure out how to get back and like, post up like right. I'm doing here right now right, right. get a little spot and just like bring my gear and you know right record. get to feel it out yeah. what is it like growing up in a West Indian household I've heard it's very strict well I actually grew up mostly with my mom oh okay um but I mean I did spend a lot of time with my dad's family as well yeah uh yeah I mean they were both really strict really? <laughs> yeah. yeah for sure um but yeah, like Jamaicans, they don't fuck around. Like, there's just that really ingrained level of like respect for yeah. your elders, and you do not fuck around with that. Right. Um, so, and I think that's a really good thing. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. We have a theme in this show that you already accidentally touched on, and I'm gonna dive okay. right into it. But <laughs> one of the themes of of our show that I always find out is that great artistry comes from. Uh, broken homes and absent fathers. Mm. So that might sound very forward and I might be doing a little assuming, but you said you spend more time with your mom. So I'm going to ask like Mm -hmm. about your family history. And I'm curious, like how your folks met, like were they married ever? When, when did it become a split up household? That kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like I have no recollection of my parents being together. Right. So to me, that's just not like a thing. Were you close with your dad? Yeah. Okay. I, I'm close with my dad. Yeah. Um, but I just spent a lot more time with my mom. Like, he's a musician. Uh-huh. And he was on the road for, like, my early years. No kidding. For, what kind of music did he make? Reggae. Nice. Mm-hmm. So, um, that was just, that was just what it was. And, yeah. like, they, they met, I think my mom was, like, 12. <laughs> and he was maybe 14. Okay. I was um, like, wait, what, how old was he? <laughs> Um, so they met they're like junior high sweethearts yeah junior high sweethearts they dated on and off all through high school and then uh when they when i was conceived yeah um tell us about the night of of your conception (laughs) i'm just kidding um i mean yeah they i think they were like not even really they were like on and off were they were they young still they were still really young like my mom was uh had just turned 19 when i was born yeah and uh you know my my grandfather was was in politics on which side um, your mom's side on my mom's side is your mom white my mom's white okay, yeah, yeah yeah my mom is irish italian uh, okay so um they were coming from like very very different worlds right and uh you know my grandfather was just like well 
marriage. Because he's in politics, and that you had to like have that um, visual, yeah, I, mean, I guess, that, they're that just image. Like, they're traditional, yeah. you know. They're coming from a certain yeah um, place, right? I feel you. Um, so that was just what it was, and they got married. Yeah. Um, and they, I think, they were married for like less than a year. Really? Um, so I don't remember that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was at the wedding, and my mom says that I screamed through the whole thing. <laughs> you knew. I knew, <laughs> and knew like I wasn't like I was like an angel baby. Like yeah. I never cried, and like at the wedding, I like screamed through the wow, whole thing. Wow, that's that intuition um, right there. That's it. You say your grandfather is a politician. I'm curious what kind of politician was he? Like mm-hmm. a, a state? I don't know. I don't even know he how. He's an MPP. So What's that mean? He was like um, he was uh, in the NDP party okay. when Bob Ray was in power. Um, All that to an American ago. is yeah, like, it's yeah, that it's, made no sense. It's a different me. system. Yeah, I feel um, But it's been a long time since since NDP were in office. So, so are you shout out NDP? Shout out NDP. <laughs> National Democratic Party? Is that what that stands for? New Democratic Party. New Democratic mm-hmm. Party. I was close. Are you the only child out of that relationship then? Yeah. Okay. And mm-hmm. then do you have half-brothers or sisters? I have five. Uh, oh, really? Mm-hmm. Brothers or sisters or both? Both. Really? Mm-hmm. Uh, are you close with them? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is there any sense of—I I don't know. I'm, I'm curious about that existence as, like, the half-sibling. Like, is it—do you— I know it's your only experience, so you can't tell me how it's mm-hmm. different than being the whole sibling. Mm-hmm. But I, I wonder, like, is there one set of siblings from another side that you're closer to than the other? What uh, that's might be that might cause Thanksgiving dinner <laughs> issues. But, I mean, did, did you ever feel kind of like alone? I guess no, no. Um, I I don't call them my half siblings. Yeah, right. You know, like right, right. I, we don't think about it like that. Okay. We grew up together. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, my my brothers are from my mom's second marriage, so we r- really grew up like in the same together. household. Right. Um, so I definitely saw my sisters less. Yeah. But um, I mean, yeah, it's just their family, Normal. their blood. Yeah. Totally. Mm. Sorry, that was maybe a weird line of question. No, 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 not yeah. at all. Yeah. <laughs> So, as a kid, living with mom in a politician family household, mm-hmm. what did she do? Mm-hmm. What did she do for work? Well, she did work for the government for a bit. Yeah. Um, and then she ended up going back to school and became a social worker. Nice. Um, so, that's what she does now. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. How, yeah. How, how did you like the, um, your stepdad that she married? Get, get along good with him? He was amazing. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. That's something we don't hear amazing a lot on dude. this show. For some reason, artists come in here and they're like, oh, yeah, then she married an asshole. And so I'm, <laughs> I'm glad to hear that you didn't hit that. Yeah, no, she married a very, very good dude who had a really big influence on my life. Fantastic. Um, they're not together anymore. Okay. But, uh, yeah, I, I love him a lot. He was like a huge, like really positive male influence in my life. Good. Mm-hmm. Were academics important in your household? Were you told to strive for your education and grades? Um, yes and no. My my parents were really like, they were kind of really chill about it. Yeah. You know, like through school, obviously they wanted me to do well, but neither of them went to university. I mean, oh, my really? mom did later on yeah, and got yeah. her degree, but um, it just wasn't like a, they were like, if you want to. Right. You know, it wasn't like a set 
thing. Mm-hmm. Um, they really wanted me to do, they were like, at least do a year and see how you feel about it. So I did that. Um, I did a year of English literature at Concordia in uh-huh. Montreal. Uh-huh. Um, and as I suspected, uh, un petit peu. Oui. Oui. <laughs> um, so, well, but what about, like, as a kid, did you like school? Were you into it? No, I always felt really, um, I, I didn't fit into the education system. Why? Uh, I don't think I learned the way that they teach. Are you a visual learner or what do I'm you mean? I'm a very visual learner. Yeah. Um, I'm a little bit, I can definitely be a little bit spacey. Mm-hmm. A little bit dreamy, drifty. <laughs> right, right. Um, so I just, I feel like I kind of got lost in the crowd in school. Um, I failed a bunch of shit in high school. Really? Had to do an extra year. I would have so never guessed any credits. of that. Yeah, yeah, I was, I mean, like, my teen years were tough. Uh-huh. So I think it was a mixture of not really fitting into, yeah, the way that they were teaching and also just the personal shit that I was going through. Can we talk about some of that stuff? For sure. All right. Well, so we'll get to it. Let me go back first to like the elementary years. Were you already singing as a child? Like where did you discover that you had a voice? Yeah, I was singing a lot, but I was doing it very secretively. In your bedroom? Or yeah, like just singing very along much in to, private. Yeah. Um, and I spent a lot of time by myself as a kid too. So like my my brother, who's the closest in to age. me in age, is 10 years younger than me. Oh, wow. Um, so for the first 10 years of my life, I was an only child. So, like, I spent a lot of time just entertaining myself. Uh-huh. Right. <laughs> like, in my room, in right. the mirror. Right. Um, and that's kind of where it started. Yeah. I would just, Who were like, you singing along to in that mirror? I was singing a lot of Mariah. <laughs> of course, why not? Love Mariah. Yeah. Um, and like, what else was I singing? Man, I, I loved pop shit when I was a kid. Like, I was very into like Christina of and like all of that shit. Like, like big vocalists, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, Pink? How about Pink? Uh, <laughs> Here's why I say that because for some reason, Pink always comes out at the Grammys and I'm always like, when the fuck was Pink ever popular? No one fucked with Pink. Anyway, okay. <laughs> Christina Aguilera, continue. Yeah, so. <laughs> I mean, that's that's kind of how I learned to sing, like trying to sing these really big songs. But that is not even really my vocal style, mm-hmm. um, which I came to realize later on. And that's when I started to get like more into jazz and, mm. you know, R&B and like neo soul stuff. And I was like, OK, this is this is my pocket. And that was like when you were in high school or what? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, tell me about these troubled high school years. What happened? Well, I was really, really depressed. Yeah. For like all of high school. And um, did you recognize it as a de- as depression or were you just kind of like, I feel like shit and I don't understand why? Yeah, I think I did. I don't know if, I don't think I really had the language right. to to describe it and understand what was happening. Mm-hmm. I just knew that I felt horrible. And the did the depression perpetuate the isolation? Like you felt like no one will understand this, so I don't want to talk to anybody about it? Definitely. I felt super isolated. Um, and I, yeah, I had to, I really had some like dark times. And it kind of got to the point where it was like, I'm going to have to... I'm going to have to really make a commitment to my mental health and to 
to understanding how this works and what works specifically for me, you know, because it's different for everybody. Like there's not there's not one answer to depression, but um, I think it's like so many more people are talking about it now. And it makes me so happy because I just like I for a long time, I didn't talk about it and I was very, you know, ashamed of it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's also a really big thing in the black community, in the Caribbean community. There's like to look down upon to talk about your depression. Yeah, you just don't talk about it. Right. Um, So, so yeah, I, I really had to like push through and then um, figure out like what my personal coping mechanisms were because medication was not right Mm -hmm. for me. Mm -hmm. Like I know that it's extremely yeah, absolutely helpful for a lot of people. people. Wasn't right for me, so I started getting into meditation and started getting, you know, more into, to me. I mean, music was always a huge part of my life and it was always a very like healing element to me, but I didn't. But as you got more serious about creating it, it probably became a separate catharsis in and of itself. Totally. Right. Totally. Yeah. Um, and I was always writing from when I was a kid, I was always writing poetry and short stories. Right. And, See that, and that's why I was surprised that um, you didn't take to school because listening to your songwriting, I, you can tell that you've mm-hmm. been writing since childhood. That's uh, so many songwriters, yeah. You know, take up the pen by third grade or something, and yeah, yeah. And I mean, I was obviously, you know, it was interesting for me because it, I was just like all over the board. Like I was like ninety five in English and like forty two in math. You yeah, know, so right, right. it was kind of like I, I obviously had uh, a gift with language and people told me that a lot growing up. Um, but I ended up feeling kind of stupid right. in the education system because math there's and science, this concentration you know, on balance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that there's this focus on, yeah, just like math and science. Like if you can't That's what's going to get you money. Yeah. You're going to get paid if you can do this. So, but my, my family was always very, the first the first way I like can remember identifying is like as an artist, like from a very very young age. Were you a visual artist as well? Um, yeah, I did do a lot of drawing and sketching and painting and stuff like that. Right. Um, and I was involved in like dance and theater. I was a competitive gymnast for ten years. Oh wow! So I was doing a lot of different kind of creative expression for a long time. Yeah. Um, and I was very kind of like comfortable being on stage from when I was very young. Mm-hmm. But um, the music came later. So that brings up an interesting contrast in my head, in that you say you were very comfortable on stage, but in your personal time you kind of were isolating Mm -hmm. right it makes me wonder like why do you think you were comfortable in isolation in your personal time but then the thing that terrifies most public people the Mm -hmm. most getting on a stage and performing in front of people that didn't phase you Mm -hmm. it was just it was an outlet for me Mm -hmm. from when i was super young and it made me incredibly nervous and it still does but Mm -hmm. i think i think especially you know into my uh teen years i I really needed to, I felt very numb. Mm -hmm. And that was something that made me feel alive. Mm -hmm. And so I think I kind of clung to that as Mm -hmm. like something to just feel something through, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I've always tried to explain to people too, because I think I have a bit of like, I don't know. I'm I'm like a little antisocial. I have a little bit of like social anxiety, but I never had a problem getting on stage and talking in front of people either. But I think like what people fail to recognize is that 
activity of being alone on a stage is a sense of isolation in and of itself. You know what I mean? You get to be alone up there. You're not in the crowd with everybody mm-hmm. else looking at you. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, you're, you're still getting to separate yourself from the crowd in a sense, yeah? Yeah. I mean, you're very alone up there, but I think for me, I feel like something else gets to come through. Right. And for somebody like myself who was very quiet and very shy, that was one of the only ways that I had to show people that something else was going on there right? than what they were, you know, seeing. And that was kind of like when I really started getting into music, I felt that same pull, like that same need to just be like, there's so much more to me than what I feel I'm able to reveal to people, maybe in a social setting or whatever, because of being shy and social anxiety and stuff. Right. So that was a way for me to be like, look at all of this that's going on, like in my inner world and like here's a way for me to show you that and to feel comfortable like expressing that did you instantly receive positive validation from it or was it a rocky start like i feel like um kids are assholes you know what i mean and Mm -hmm. like when kids see that you're good at something uh a a lot of times uh, their initial instinct is try and chop you down on some like you're not better than me just because you can do that or were your peers kind of like wow you're really amazing and you should stick with it yeah. yeah I got a lot of support from my peers and I think that's part of the reason why I like felt like I needed to keep going like there was a lot of people along the way who told me you need to keep going yeah and you need to like do this um and especially with music I mean I had a lot of people that were just like really championing me that's fantastic um yeah nice you're lucky for that i want to touch back more on the depression stuff just because we do talk a lot about depression on this show because mm-hmm. I, and i would wager that a lot of people that tune in deal with their own depression and anxiety and coping Absolutely. mechanisms so um you mentioned that you when you first were kind of learning about um your depression you didn't speak the language and i would say that that's probably generally true for a lot of people. So what kind of work did you do to start speaking that language? And what was your process of discovering your coping mechanisms? Because that's something that I didn't figure out until I was probably like almost 30. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, it was, it's been a really long process. And Mm -hmm. I don't think that it ends, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. for me, um, rituals became very important. Um, you know, meditation. I started doing a lot of research into like natural um, ways, holistic approaches. Holistic approaches. Yeah. Um, meditation became a huge saving grace for me. You know, yeah. just understanding that I'm not my thoughts and that I don't have to associate with my thoughts because my thoughts were just running wild (laughs) and telling me all types of shit about myself that is not true. true. There was some um, study they did where like 90% of the thoughts that pop into your head are complete fucking nonsense. Like like they're just negative for no reason and they're just not true. Like things Mm -hmm. that you think people think about you are simply not true. Yeah. 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 And and that was huge for me yeah. when I finally started to disassociate from all of my negative thinking patterns. Uh-huh. I was really able to just watch those thoughts more mm-hmm. out of, you know, a curious place mm-hmm. um, or out of like an unattached place and be like, OK, you know, that's that's fucked up. Mm-hmm. But I don't need to believe that. Mm-hmm. 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 So. 
you know, oftentimes in finding your path and coping with these things, you have to fail before you find the answers. So was it something um, where you reached out to an adult or you reached out to somebody and were like, I need help. And they were like, oh, let's get you on meds. And then you found out that meds didn't work. Yeah. Yeah. That was definitely like through my teens. And I kind of like tried therapy and was trying different things. Yeah. Tried meds, felt worse on meds. Really? Um, and How long did it take you to realize that they weren't working? A year. About, yeah, mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. And when you got off, did you feel better instantly or was it even worse for a while? Um, well, I actually, I used to do really long canoe trips um, in my teens. That which sounds tight. I also think, you know, looking back that I can kind of say that like saved my life in mm-hmm. a sense because mm-hmm. um, I would do these like 30 day canoe trips every summer. Mm-hmm. Like a be, summer camp type thing? Yeah, or, it was yeah. a summer camp. It was a tripping camp. Yeah. Um, and just be, like, off the grid. Yeah. And, um, and it was those trips, like, it was the first month long that I did where I just, I started to feel good uh, out of nowhere. And I stopped taking my meds. It wasn't even really, like, a... It wasn't really like a conscious choice, even. It just kind of happened. Right. Because everything was just feeling good right. and I didn't understand why but I didn't really need to understand it at that point uh-huh. um, and so that kind of like slowing down of everything and that kind of like every move you make when you're out in the woods is very intentional you know yeah no distractions like you gather the wood to make the fire to make the food to you know everything has a purpose so simple yeah, yeah. and that kind of like really grounded me and brought me that was the beginning. Like, it was still a really long process to get out of it. Uh-huh. But that was the beginning of kind of seeing that things could be different. Did your mom in her second marriage... Kennedy, hush. Uh, marry a white guy? No. Oh, you so your brothers are also half? Well, she married a mixed guy. A mixed guy, and okay. so they're a quarter. So your brothers are also of mixed ethnicity mm-hmm. as well. Okay. But they're very, like, white passing. They pass, mm-hmm. yeah. I'm curious, being of mixed ethnicity, like, what it was like showing up to family functions and being the darkest person in one family and maybe the lightest in another. Like, was that ever, like, a weird, conflicting issue in your head? I don't know. Mm. Um, not really. I mean, like, I feel like... In my dad's side of the family, there's, I mean, there's definitely, like, the colorism thing in Jamaica is just out of control. Right. Um, So there was definitely that element, um, and it's definitely something that I've talked to my dad about a lot more, like, in the last couple of years. When you say colorism, explain that to our audience, because I don't know if that's a topic that we touch on a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, It's that lighter-skinned black folks get treated differently, get like, treated better. Yeah, like held, held on a pedestal to an, yeah. Ex- to an extent. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. And I definitely experienced that in Jamaica as well. Really? And I had some darker skinned people being like, you know, everyone's going to treat you yeah. like a certain way because you're light skinned. Wow. Um, and that was just like, wow. You right. know, and there's like tons of skin bleaching going on down there. And it's very, it's very deeply ingrained. Right. Um. So, so yeah, I mean, that was definitely... A thing, but I don't think it was a thing to uh, like to, to us as much. Yeah. Like to me and my cousins, like we didn't have that ingrained in us, right. and that was something that you know, being mixed, I I didn't really. I, I was very confused about my identity right. growing up. Like I didn't, I didn't feel as connected as I wanted to feel to, to either side or. 
To either side, yeah, yeah. But like, especially to my black side, because I didn't get to spend as much time with the black side of my family. Right. So I think I was always like really craving that connection and really wanting it. Yeah. Um, but I got sent to predominantly white schools and lived in, you know, my neighborhood was diverse, but um, my school was not. Mm-hmm. So I was very uh, used to being the token black girl for a long time. Right, right. And so that, yeah, I know my question was probably kind of crude or crass, but that's what I was trying to get to is like that, that sense of identity had to be confusing. Mm -hmm. And I I kind of guessed that perhaps your school was predominantly white. And so I wondered, like, did you have to, um, were you dealing with a lot of microaggressions there? Like you talk about tokenism, like, yeah. Yeah, definitely. But I wasn't aware of what was going on. Like, once again, I didn't have the language to describe what was happening. I didn't even know that a lot of the stuff that people were saying to me was they a don't problem. say to other people yeah yeah like i didn't i didn't even know until i got older and i was like whoa all that shit was so messed up but right. like i wasn't aware yeah um, and, and like how much of it i internalized as well you know mm-hmm. and i think that that was ended up contributing to my depression and to my social anxiety and to feeling isolated and all that mm-hmm. and then as i got older and i was really able to you know forge my own connection with my roots Mm -hmm. um that was just that just opened everything up and like music huge thing um and when i grew up my hair natural Mm -hmm. huge thing Mm -hmm. um those were all you know moments where i started to feel really connected to my blackness in like a powerful way Mm -hmm. um and i know like a lot of black women talk about their hair in particular and it um it's such a like deep rooted thing like i hated my hair Mm -hmm. for so long and i straightened it for like i chemically straightened it for like i think starting when i was about nine Mm -hmm. and then i i grew it out natural at 19 and i had no idea what it even looked like really yeah and it grew out and it was like all of a sudden, you know, I was looking at a mirror and I finally saw like this black woman. Yeah. And it was like a very powerful moment and a very like big moment for me to just like accept myself and to not try to fit myself into these Eurocentric standards of beauty. Yeah. And like feel beautiful for the first time. That got me a little choked up, I'll be honest. That's very that's a very beautiful story. Uh, how do people react to seeing your hair that way for the first time? It was a lot of different reactions. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it kind of, there's there was a lot of positive reactions, specifically from the black community. Mm-hmm. It was like almost all of a sudden I was like accidentally initiated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I didn't even mean to do it. And, and it was like, you know, it's a political move whether you want it to be or not if you're wearing your hair in an afro so i learned that pretty quickly right um and and yeah and then just you know just like all of the usual shit that you hear like can i touch your hair people just grabbing it and touching it and just like stupid comments and Mm -hmm. that's just par for the course that newfound sense of identifying with your blackness did it affect your songwriting? Did it affect your life in other ways that, than you expected? Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, like, I feel like it was just, it was just like me embracing me. Right. You know, and then from that came so many positive things and like, 
like positive relationships and just like it helped you find your people or what it helped me find my people for sure and like um i didn't have that many black friends growing up now i have like hella black friends yeah right. um so to just like find find that community and really feel a part of it i think i just always wanted that so badly and Mm -hmm. i didn't even know how badly Mm -hmm. i wanted it That brings me to another topic of Canada in general. I think that Americans have this view of Canada, and I would assume that Canadians kind of have this idea of themselves as well as as sort of this racial utopia almost, where like the racism doesn't exist there like it does in the States. But I would kind of argue that I have a feeling that Canadian racism is just as underlying as American. It's just not as visceral because mm-hmm. there's not as much gun violence there. Yeah. And so you don't hear about like police shooting black men or whatever. But mm-hmm. I have to assume that like Canada is still pretty fucking racist too. Yeah. Uh, it's super racist. Okay. Cause yeah. I, I see white rappers, particularly from Canada, that like <laughs> don't understand. They don't understand why they're offensive. Mm-hmm, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because like it's just they don't have that context of American racism and, and how it interacts with hip hop in general. And yeah. so they do such foul shit that I'm like, man, Canadian white rappers are really problematic. Mm-hmm. OK, so anyway, now tell me about like racism in Canada. How about yeah. that? I mean, um, I feel like I kind of been in a little bubble in Toronto. Mm-hmm. Um, not that there's not racism in Toronto. There absolutely is. Mm-hmm. I've definitely been called the N-word on the street more than once mm-hmm. by random people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, like I'll say that to my white friends sometimes and they're like, what? You know, they're like shocked. Mm-hmm. And to me, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like people are racist. Yeah. yeah that's the thing. Um, there's... A huge problem with, um, like, people are incredibly racist towards the indigenous community. Yeah. And— That's a big thing in Alaska as well. Yeah. 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 And it's just—it's horrible. Like, it's so, so sad. And um, there's just—there hasn't been that real, you know, like— Facing the the actual— Facing the history. The history, yeah. Facing the history, like— it's like Canada just does not want to face the history and totally. just does not want to deal with the fact that, you know, the position that we've put Indigenous people in um, is is just awful. Like, right. it's disgraceful. Absolutely. Um, so, like, real reparations need to be made. And I I hope that, you know, I really hope that we're moving towards that Right. Mm -hmm. Okay, now. (laughs) Man, now that I got all the social stuff out of you, let's talk about music. How about that? Music, I like to get a sense of people's politics first, I guess, you know? So, uh, you say that you were singing a lot as a kid in your mirror, and do you remember the first time you sang for somebody and they were like, whoa, like, that's something? Yeah. um, I I remember singing— I remember it was like one of my first mushroom trips. 
I was going to ask you, I don't usually <laughs> ask about drugs, but I'm like, yo, you seem like somebody that's had, that's had some fun drug experiences I mean, too. I've done a lot I, of mushrooms. I, I, yeah, I was, a, I, I, I always preferred acid over mushrooms. So mm-hmm. Like a lot of people think I'm crazy for that, but for some reason, the, the, the chemicals always did better than the, than the earthbound things for me. I've only done acid once and it was amazing. It was fantastic. I can't wait to do it again. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So on a I'll mushroom trip, I'll talk about that later. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, it was one of my first mushroom trips. I think I was like maybe 17. Yeah, right. I was probably with about 10 girls. Um, and we were just, we were in the park. It was like the middle of the night. Um, and I just lost all my inhibitions. Like I'd never, none of my friends even knew I sang. So we're all tripping the fuck out. And then I just start singing. And Yo, everybody's that's a, like, what the fuck? <laughs> that's a movie right there. It hey, was that is a, a straight movie. up movie scene. It was a real movie. That's so cool. And I think some of my friends were actually like a little bit hurt, you know? That like you didn't afterwards, tell them. they were like, what? Yeah. Why didn't you? But um, that was like, that was one of the first times that I really like sang in front of people and and it just came out and it was just like, it was just free flowing. And yeah. Do you remember what you sang? Uh, it's probably some Mariah. <laughs> well, yeah, right. That's so remember. cool. And so, uh, I mean, how does that change the dynamic of your friend group after that? Were they like, were they like rooting for you? Like, come on, you gotta go get, you gotta go get your setup. You gotta go get in the studio. I actually had this one friend, mm-hmm. um, and she had a beautiful voice. So mm-hmm. from that point on, that was kind of like a thing, you know, like we harmonized together and just, mm-hmm. just for fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was very open about it. You know, she was like always singing and she was doing the talent shows and this and that. But for me, it was like, you know, this whole tortured thing, like, ah. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was kind of like, yeah, that was the start of really singing in front of people mm-hmm. and like getting comfortable with it. And so what is your next step after that? Did you instantly go to bedroom artist or did you try your hand at different things like bands or or choirs or anything like that like what was the process i was doing so many different things i was like i started doing open mics yeah um my dad had a cafe and there was like a jam night Uh every wednesday night and so i started going to that it was like all these old like rasta fans um I mean, that me. sounds kind of tight to me. <laughs> it was awesome. You, you're like, yeah, there's a bunch of old restaurants. I'm like, that sounds amazing. No, it was amazing. It yeah. was really amazing. Like, And again, with the whole like respect to your elders thing, like I learned a lot from right. those guys. And they were really, really encouraging. And so I was singing like a lot of reggae stuff with them and I was I started singing like a lot of jazz and did you play instruments do you play instruments I played like a little bit of keys but not really so you weren't like walking in there with your like chord keyboard and setting up no I was just there I was just there like I just I just wanted to be around it that's Mm kind of how it started Mm -hmm. and so many musicians would come through there and so I got to meet a lot of people there Mm -hmm. and that was kind of where I yeah where I really started to like just get comfortable mm-hmm. and a lot of those people were like you need to keep going mm-hmm. 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 so do you, do you have like the ill patois then not really man okay. right. <laughs> i was just curious i wish i did you yeah, know yeah. that's why i feel like i need to spend some time in, in jamaica because as soon as i'm there like it's, it's in there like right. I, I used to speak patois with my grandma and my cousins when i was really little yeah. but it's gone now yeah right so but like i know that i'm down there for a couple months it's just gonna like right, right. <laughs> that, totally you just gotta like jump in head first mm-hmm. you know? all right um so 
the people that are encouraging you to keep going. I, I mean, like, yeah, now tell me what mm-hmm. happens. Just give me the okay, chronological yeah. story so of like, after that, how did you I, become a, a space, L space, L space, I space, <laughs> E, you know? Um, after that, I, I started singing, um, in like cover bands. Okay. I was singing with this Motown band called the big sound. Um, and it's this really big Motown party in Toronto. That Super fun. Uh, there was like 20, uh, instrumentalists, about 10 vocalists. And it was just like, it was was like wall of sound, like, yeah, just like huge. Like the band leader was really, he really wanted to do it authentically, like the way that it was done. Um, so that was like a huge, I did that for a couple of years and that was a huge learning experience just in terms of gigging and like getting that performance experience. And I was with, Really, really amazing singers um, who, like, Tanika Charles, um, Maylee Todd, like, women that I really had looked up to. Uh Um, And then it was kind of like, all of a sudden I was singing alongside of them and they have, like, these really big voices. And I was actually, like, super insecure in that group because everyone had these, like, massive voices. And, like, I don't sing like that. Like, I'm I'm a pretty chill, you know, my sound is, like, I'm not a belter. Right. I would say that you kind of have, like, a whispery sultriness to your voice. You know what I mean? It's, like, very kind of, like, relaxed and, like... Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like post-coital music. (laughs) Anyway. uh, A lot of people talk about having sex to my music. I I would imagine that it's probably an ongoing theme. I love Uh, it. I love it. The other thing that I can't help but but wonder when you talk about going from being this isolated musician who's singing to herself in a mirror to to then going like Mm -hmm. now it's a big social gathering of like 30 people and you're having to Mm -hmm. – you're kind of having to – you know, navigate through all these social circles within the group too. Was that something difficult for you or was it a learning experience? It was a huge learning experience. Like it was, it was, you know, I I had so much performance anxiety. Um, we were playing to like five, 600 people, um, when we'd play and it was just, it was just like thrown in you know it was just like do or die time Mm -hmm. um and i think the energy and the kind of like musicianship of everyone around me just like really pushed me to want to be better and want to work harder and like um during that period of time i started to work on my own stuff and Uh i met this producer uh second son so he produced my whole first cp Uh uh-huh that's night shit. Wait, what's that's it called? That's um, strange creature. Strange. Okay, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, that was twenty thirteen. Oh, okay. So that um, that one's not even on Spotify, then, is it? It's not on Spotify. Yeah. Okay. That's what, okay. I actually just put up the first single. Yeah. On Spotify. Okay. Um, but the rest of it, no. But that was my first project. So I started working with Second Son, and we started writing. It was just like a good fit, you know. Just right off the bat, we like really got along we like linked up and just like seven hours later we were still just shooting the shit right um and we made that project together and i still work with him like he produced some of the stuff on nightshade as well okay um he's the one that taught me how to use logic and and taught me to like record myself and okay shout out to second son it's my boy <laughs> shout out second son we mm-hmm. love shout outs here um what was the scene like? So I, I would imagine that that Motown scene was 
probably something pretty cool. That sounds like uh, the equivalent of what might be like an emo night out here or something where there's a lot of the people circulating. But also, like you spoke about right when we first started talking, Toronto is a huge hub of artistry and creative talent right now. So like, who are the other artists that you were running into and seeing um, Mm -hmm. just around, you know? Yeah. Well, it's really cool now because like, like now a lot of the people that I've known for the past, let's say five years since I started, are really starting to come up now Mm -hmm. so we've all really gotten to witness like this progression in each other which is really beautiful Mm -hmm. um so like a lot of the people that i work with now um harrison birthday boy um river tiber oh yeah charlotte day wilson oh i love charlotte day wilson she's amazing i've been trying to get her on this show okay yeah she's fantastic anyway proceed um yeah and so i've known them for years now. Nice. So, like, just being able to watch that progression in each other and really, like, support each other and, like, play our demos for each other and, you know, like... You'll look back on those as the best years, you know what I mean? Definitely. Like, after like, everyone's famous and loses contact with each other, those are the years <laughs> you'll look back on and definitely. go, wow, that was cool. I mean, I played shit. I played shit for Charlotte, you know, when I was making Nightshade and yeah, she gave right. me a lot of feedback and yeah. she played me... I remember that session... Uh, or that hangs so clearly because she played me her EP um, before it came out. And I was just like, what the fuck, dude? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, because um, we, we, I, it had been like a year before that she was like, I don't know if I should produce this myself or like, I can't really find anyone who's going to do it the way that I want it. And we were like, yeah, man. Like, and, and then she fucking did that. Yeah. And it's like amazing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so. Just I've had like such incredible people around me, yeah, and it's like not a it's just been really like love and support, which I think is kind of hard to come by, right, especially within this industry, but everybody like really looks out for each other that's fantastic hmm. um does anybody refer to your city as the six other than Drake um <laughs> not really. <laughs> <I just> <laughs> Oh, jeez. Um, all right. So you put together Nightshade is the one from 2015? It's from last summer. Oh, wait. What's the one before that then? What? I can't think of the title. Moonlust. Yeah, Moonlust. Okay. So mm. when so you put out an EP in 2013 yeah. that is not available online currently. It's on in SoundCloud. The, okay, it's on SoundCloud. Mm-hmm. I would imagine that the second one, Moonlust, probably starts getting you more attention. Yeah. Okay, so tell me about stuff that starts happening around 2015 then, three years ago. Yeah, so 2015 was, um, that was, I was kind of at a, like, a crossroads there, Mm. where I was feeling really, um, I'd had a hard year, Mm. the year before, and I was really questioning, like, what am I doing? Tell me about it, what happened? Um... I actually I came out to LA yeah. for the first time uh-huh. and it just wasn't it wasn't good. <laughs> it wasn't a good trip. I didn't have the right people around me. And um had you already been seeking out management and like agents and all that? Did you have that already? Kind of. Yeah. A little bit, but it wasn't it ended up being not the right fit and right. not the right people. So I kinda came back like I came out here really hopeful and I came back really dejected and right. I was kinda just like, Okay, I need to just finish this project for myself at this point uh-huh. because um i just need to do it so beginning of 2015 i got invited to 
base camp, Red Bull base camp mm-hmm. in Montreal. And Charlotte was there. River Tiber was there. Is that like a songwriting summit or something? Yeah, it's kind of like, I guess, kind of an extension of RBMA. But okay. it's like they just bring, they select, you don't apply. Like they just select 20 people and put you up in a hotel and give you, you know, lectures and recording time. And they're just like, do your thing. Uh-huh. So there was so many amazing people there. Um, Poma was there, Tennyson, uh, Nick Wisdom, Da P. And so that was kind of like when my project really started coming together, just from all the people that I met out there. Yeah. And I really needed that. Like, I really needed to just that, like, burst of, like, inspiration and energy and, like, people believing in me. Um, and I finished my EP, you know, shortly after that, Yeah, put it out. And then I started working on Nightshade. Yeah. So did, did, um, you put it out independently? The, the, uh, Moonlust? Yeah. And I put everything out. You put it, everything out. Oh, yeah. I see here. You're so polished. I thought you had to already be part of like the label system. Mm-mm. So you're putting it out independently and like, are you acting as your own PR person? Are you doing, are you doing everything yourself is, I guess is what I'm getting at. I was at that time. Yeah. I was managing myself. Um, that's also, you know, why that was a particularly challenging time because mm-hmm. I didn't really know what I was doing mm-hmm. and it was a really steep learning curve. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't have that team and I didn't have that support. So right around when I put Moonlist out, I met my current management, yeah. who I had known for a while. Um, and we just started talking, and they just wanted to help me. Like, it wasn't even, like, an official thing. They were just like, send us your project. Like, let us just, like, see what we can do because right. we just, like, fuck with you. Right. Um, and then from there, it's just, like, a really— really organic relationship nice. grew from that and they are still my managers fantastic mm-hmm. um so working on the nightshade uh ep what was the process for that just kind of at home in toronto doing it well yeah i recorded most of it at home yeah um i recorded some of it in other people's studios like take me there i recorded at, at tommy's place at river tiber's place okay um recorded a couple songs at second sun spot but everything else i recorded at home yeah um and yeah i just worked it out <laughs> right right um the day that you release a project what does it feel like that project when i released nightshade last summer um I felt like an eerie sense of calm. Uh Like I felt so relaxed about it. Uh And I didn't know why I was just like, okay, you know, Uh like I've, I've done everything that I could do. I'm I'm fucking done. Like all that's left is to just give it to people. Right. Um, And I didn't have a lot of expectations Mm -hmm. and it just like, like immediately surpassed all my expectations of what you know how so what started happening i started to get i just started to get like a different reaction that just felt really personal um just like a lot of people sending me personal messages Uh um and just a lot i guess just like a lot more interest than i had had in the past right and it was just like it was like a palpable 
feeling in the air of like change. Right. Mm-hmm. I'll be honest. I think people are sleeping on you right now. And so, and I think there are a lot less qualified people that are getting attention. Uh, do you, do you ever feel like, Oh, I, I wish that this, like, I don't know. Like there's this, there's this constant race to the bottom with the virality stuff. And mm-hmm. I feel like you, you are projecting such natural cool and no like try hardness. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, uh, is there ever is there ever a sense of like why are people sleeping on me or do you just not, not worry really, about that? Okay, not really. Okay. Like, I think um, my motivation is just not what it's not that. Okay, like, it's not about fame to yeah. me. And if it was, I'd be going about things in a really different, different way. Manner. Yeah. Totally. Um. So to me, it's just like it's going at exactly the pace that it should be going nice. as far as I'm yeah. concerned. Yeah. And um I feel like I feel like just like my personal kind of definition of success is just like not about numbers. Is it about happiness? It's not even about happiness. I think it's more like about peace. Okay. And like it's more about like my personal healing process, you know? And I really, I was so focused on that for this album. Like it became such a therapeutic project for me. It was the first time where I really just like enjoyed the process so much. And it wasn't about the outcome and it wasn't about like what was going to happen afterwards. I think that's why I felt so calm when I put it out. Because I was just like, I did everything that I could do and like right. just give it up to the universe and now. And proud of every song, felt good about I'm it. I'm proud of it. Like, yeah, like I'm very proud of it. And I think uh, I just want to keep making music. Yeah. Essentially. So, so let me ask you this. I think the scariest thing for a lot of artists is looking at the blank page, right? Mm-hmm. Getting that, that first sentence down or that first song done or whatever, all of a sudden like mm-hmm. projects start to sh- take shape and they become easier to complete at that point. But like when you release a project and you're looking at that blank page, are you intimidated by it? Or are you excited to start working on the next thing? Do you take a break? Do you, or, or are you someone who just records so many songs you already have stuff that could fit onto the next project? I was so excited to make, start making new music really? after I finished the album. Yeah. I was just like, I was dying to just like make some shit that didn't have any kind of like um, destination in mind, you know? Right. Um, and that's what I've been doing. I've just been like making whatever, just yeah. making whatever I, I, I feel like for the last few months. Right. Um, and it feels good. And so when you're when you are just making whatever feels good, um, I guess what I'm asking is when you assemble your projects, is it something where you record more than enough and then you go through and try to meld it into mm-hmm. something that fits into a cohesive package, mm-hmm. or do you do you um, once it starts to take shape, mm-hmm. do you think about like okay now what this album is missing is this and then try to make that. Uh, yeah, like it definitely took on a lot of forms mm-hmm. over the course of the two years. I thought it was one thing mm-hmm. at first and then it ended up being completely something else. But mm-hmm. that is, that is the part of the process that I love as well. Like just watching it reveal itself to me, you know, mm-hmm. because like I consider myself to be like the vessel, you know, I feel like my job is to let it come through. Mm-hmm. And so whatever I need to do to get out of the way for this to come through, you know, from wherever it's coming from, 
um, that's that's my only job. Just like be there. Mm-hmm. Just like show up and to just do the work. Yeah. yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, are we ever going to see a, uh, a collab with your dad? I think he'd love to see that. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, come on, put me in coach. I'm ready. Maybe you never know. Like no, I do, I do love to sing yeah. with him. Are, so are your folks stoked? They're super stoked. Like yeah. my mom is like my biggest fan. That's she comes good. To every gig. Yeah. yeah, they love it. Right. And so now they're not concerned about you going back to university. Ah, uh, they never were, you know. Yeah. They they always had this kind of attitude towards me. I think even when I couldn't take care of myself, they mm-hmm. were like, "Ah, she's got this." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, they just always had this like really kind of like deep confidence mm-hmm. in me that I would just like make it work. Um, yeah. Are you um someone that's like do you tour? Have you toured? I haven't. Are you looking forward to it? Is that something that you want to do or does that seem like, "Oh god, I've got to tour now." <laughs> I would love to tour. Yeah. yeah, that's definitely like I would love to hopefully tour this year. Yeah, I just want to play more, you yeah. know, because I feel like I haven't, I haven't had that opportunity to really just like live it. Yeah, and just be playing like every night. Um, right, getting those chops up, like the stage chops. Yeah, because yeah. like it's hard to to go from one performance and then not perform for like a month and right. then like jump back into it. Right. Um, so yeah, I'd love that. I always think it's such a weird place right now with how, um, I don't know, kind of inclusive the internet is, I guess, where like now somebody who's never been on stage can make one song that blows the fuck up and then they just got to like go learn to perform in front of a thousand yeah. people every night because, you know, 10, 12, 15 years ago, that didn't exist. It's mm-hmm. like you started making music and you had to play mm-hmm. locally and try to open for every single person and get your stage chops up and then mm-hmm. in hopes that one day you would have that song that caught on and then you'd be ready to go perform, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do, do you feel like you're, you are comfortable with where your stage show is at right now? I feel like I'm ready. You're ready. Yeah, yeah. but totally feel ready to tour. Um, what would it look like? You and a DJ or you and a band? Or I mean, I would love it to be my band. Yeah. Like, I would love to... I've always, you know, pictured, like, the full band yeah. with the backup singers, you know. Um, and that's, that's like, the vision for when I can do it. Uh-huh. But probably, yeah, initially it, it might be with a DJ. Yeah, right, totally. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, are you? Do you have a booking agent? Maybe that's inside baseball. We don't need to talk about that. I'll ask you out there. <laughs> uh, yeah, I want to see you tour too, man. Okay. Yeah. Thanks, man. So, uh, what's what's next now? That that project what came out in November? It October? came out in July. Oh wow! Mm-hmm. I found it in like September or October. I well, think. A lot of people are just still finding it. Yeah. Um, which is which is really cool. It's yeah. just kind of like having its own little life of its own. Right. It's I, moving I, around. I really feel, I feel like that record is one of those things that people are going to be able to stumble on it for like years to come. Yeah. And it's. It has this sort of like timelessness and exists in its own universe to where like it, it's it's always going to be hitting somebody for the for the rest of your career. Somebody's going to go, oh, wow, I just found you through this project. I hope um, so. Anyway, I yeah. hope so. Like, I feel like I was definitely trying to make something that felt classic mm-hmm. um, to me because mm-hmm. I just love classic shit. Amen. Um, so, yeah, that was definitely a huge drive and just like wanting it to be that, you know, kind of like analog meets digital mm-hmm. like we did use a lot of live mm-hmm. uh, instruments and like all the producers that I work with are amazing players and like you know a lot of them are multi-instrumentalists so I really wanted that element as much as I love electronic music you mm-hmm. know it's like that mix for me is is exciting 
what are you going to do out here for a month? Just like camp out in your Silver Lake place and like <laughs> record? Or do you have like a friend base out here that you go out and experience the city with? Um, yeah, like I first week I really was just kind of like doing a lot of recording mm-hmm. solo, just like being with myself. I really love being alone. Mm-hmm. Um, Who doesn't? Yeah. I but like it. my girl just just got here a few days ago. So now we're kind of like starting to do the, you know. We're starting to run around. <laughs> you guys out in Hollywood or what? What, what? what kind of L.A. do you like to visit? Like, do you because L.A. is a city of many faces, and there are some people that come out here and mm-hmm. go to Hollywood. There are some people that come out here and go to Silver Lake and go to the little dive bars. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, what, what's your kind of thing? Like, what would you like to do for fun out here? I feel like I I don't even know yet because yeah. I don't even know L.A. well enough yet. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of just like the people that I know. I'm like, take me somewhere, right. you know. But we went and like hiked. Uh, Griffith? The other day, Runyon. Oh, Runyon, okay. Um, So I really want to just, like, be—I really just want to be outside. Like, every day I wake up and I'm like— you gotta yes. do you gotta do Griffith. That's the Griffith okay. Park. That's that's a good hike. It's a pretty uh, exercise intensive. Uh-huh. Like you'll be you'll be tired by the time you get to the top, but it's very worth it. My legs are are fucked. Like I haven't been able to walk properly. Yeah, so just do, <laughs> just do it as a handstand. Like you'll be fine. Walk, walk <laughs> uphill in a handstand. You'll be good. Um, but anyway, all right. Well, tell the people where they can find you online. Uh, you can find me at Alley Moves. All my socials are under Alley Moves. A double L I E Moves. Yeah. M O V E S. Mm-hmm. Okay. Search that up and you'll find me. Yep. And available streaming on all platforms. Nightshade, a lovely project. You got older Thank stuff you. up there as well. You're mm-hmm. going to be performing Bad Habits. Where'd you record that? I'm actually going to do No Forever. Oh, we're going to. Ch- okay. That's yeah. cool. Let's yeah. do No Forever. That's good because Bad Habits has a beautiful video that you guys can find online. Where did you record that? Um, we recorded that in Guelph, Ontario. Oh, really? It mm-hmm. looks it looks like tropical almost. Yeah, there's like there's a lot of really beautiful places. Canada in is very expansive and oh, has huge. diverse ecology. <laughs> um, all right, well, so there you go. Go find Ali uh, at Ali Moves and listen to her music because it's fantastic. You're you're. A, you're a real cool son of a gun. Thanks, man. Yeah, you. You're welcome. Uh, my name is Lee. Some of you guys might know me as Intuition. You can find me online at It's Intuition. You can find my man, Ben Shim, behind the boards, making the shit sound buttery, at I am database, space with two S's. Follow us as a unit at Kinda Neat. Uh, YouTube.com slash kind of neat where you're going to see Ali perform and Facebook.com slash kind of neat. But I don't ever look at that shit. If you're on Facebook, you're kind of a kook. Um, get on Twitter, Instagram at kind of neat, blah, 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 blah. Everything wrapped up into a pretty package at kind of neat.net. And you know what it is. I only advertise asking for money at one point and it is to go to patreon.com slash kind of neat donate or pledge one dollar per episode the most that will ever be is four dollars per month so all i'm asking is that you buy me a coffee every month if you listen to the show buy me a damn coffee that's it uh all right that's it we came to do what we came to do uh, or we did what we came to do is what i meant that's ali i'm lee this was kind of neat <laughs> <laughs>